ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is Hello and welcome to another edition of Hard in the Paint and uh, joining me today to um, have part two of our discussion of the Brian Flores lawsuit is one of my favorite guests. I've known him all the way since um, the Hard in the Paint radio show back in 2019. Um, that's when we first started having conversations and um, we've just we've done this repeatedly either here on the podcast, on the radio shows that I've hosted um, and I've just watched this guy become one of the leading voices um, when talking about sports law in this country. Um, and so I'm just a big fan of his work, and I appreciate every time he uh, comes on the pod. Uh, Daniel Lust, who is a sports attorney and a uh, law professor at uh, NYU, and he's been on ESPN, he's been on Fox, he's been wherever he's, there's sports talking, they're talking about it, he's been there. So, uh, Dan, thank you so much for joining me, man. Um, pleasure, pleasure to join you as always, Dave. We always have good you know, and, and uh, I'll say like deep conversations on the pod. Um, I go on a lot of shows, Dave. I, I mean it, though. Like I, I always want to make time for you because I always do enjoy our conversations and I and I learn a lot. Um, so, you know, you, I think you saw my comments on social media. Like I think the Brian Flores conversation, if you understand the law, you understand about a fraction of what this case is about. Um, so, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation. I, I meant it when I said it. Um, and you can help educate me on some stuff. I'm sure I can help educate you on some stuff and, uh, you know, ready to get into it. I think the first thing that we have to establish um, is what exactly is in the suit so that people understand clearly what uh, Flores is alleging, who the defendants uh, in this, uh, the plaint, uh, excuse me, who the defendants are in this, um, that it's more than just the NFL itself uh, who, who uh, Flores is suing. Um, and, and the, uh, the two major, uh, pieces of legislation that, that he is suing underneath, um, which I think are very, very interesting. Um, and, and we'll get into those, but first let's just start off with what's in the suit. Yeah. So, um, at a baseline level, this case is as a proposed class action suit doesn't necessarily mean that Brian Flores is going to get it, but he's trying to get it. A class action, different than a normal lawsuit, where you involve one person suing one, you know, maybe one or a couple people. There's usually one person that's suing. What Brian Flores is asking a court to do is say, hey, I'm bringing this lawsuit on behalf of a class of people that will include African-American uh, general managers, head coaches, um, applicants for those particular jobs. So he's trying to include a class that includes much more than himself. Um, people that have spoke up, you know, in this last couple of days, Hugh Jackson, former head coach of the Cleveland Browns, Marvin Lewis with Bengals, um, and named in the complaint, like guys like Jim Caldwell, um, Eric Bieniemy. So this lawsuit on a fundamental level, um, you know, it, it's it's different. Um, if it if everything goes according to Flores' attorneys, right, this is going to be a very big lawsuit. Tens, if not 100 people will join uh, Flores in his quest against the NFL. Um, I guess, uh, you know, the other point, and then, you know, we'll, we'll help unpack it. The, the lawsuit is explicitly about racial discrimination. It's not about Stephen Ross bribing, uh, you know, Brian Flores to lose games. That's not, it's not what the lawsuit asks for. There's three causes of action. There's a federal race discrimination statute, a New York City one, and a New York State one. So maybe uh, we'll call it my, my issue with the complaint is that it has a lot of noise that 
uh, is not really relevant to the important conversations that we should be having. Right? The fact that um, Bill Belichick had this text message, we could talk about the relevance, but like, you know, you give the Giants a lot of defenses uh, with the way that that text message was framed, right? You made this the big smoking gun in the case. I think it's important. Um, I don't necessarily, uh, I, I think it has less legal relevance than it has talk show relevance. Everyone's talking about the text message. It's not that important in the court, which we can explain. Um, and then I think the Stephen Ross stuff, I think it's really important. I do. But if at the end of the day, somebody showed me a check from Stephen Ross to Brian Flores, $100,000 in the memo line, it says for the week one loss, congrats. You still don't win your case, right? So I, I, I think the complaint, um, it, it was distracting from a more important topic. Uh, we'll, we'll say that. Yeah. I, you know, when I, the Stephen Ross thing, to me, that doesn't feel racial at all. Because to me, that's more about a coach wanting to lose. I mean, a team, if that's true, it's about the integrity of the league itself um, as far as competition goes. And I know that there's some investigation um, regarding maybe some violations of gambling law um, that would take place. But that to me, yeah, is is a part of that's a league issue internally amongst the commissioner, the owners that they have to resolve and they may have to resolve with the federal courts on their own. So, yeah, I, I think that that does get to be a distraction because of the amount of money and people will look at money um, as far as the gambling and, and how many states now with Louisiana here just now coming online um, with, with uh, sports betting and just the amount of money that's flowing right now in that realm. I think, you know, that's always gambling in the NFL go hand in hand. Like no league is more closely tied to gambling probably than the NFL. So I thought, yeah, that was a waste. But the discrimination parts, and, and yeah, again, I don't, I didn't think that the Belichick piece, it can't be your best evidence with this. So the bar here, reasonably, and and I know with racial discrimination cases, you have it, it can be proven circumstantially, just like any other case, you can prove it circumstantially. But I would imagine here that the bar is going to be pretty high. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, it goes without saying, whenever you bring a lawsuit, um, the burden of proof is going to be on you. So in a civil in a civil case, um, it's something called preponderance of the evidence. And the easiest way I can explain it for those that are not familiar, 51 percent. When you weigh all the evidence, it's got to come out on your side. If it's a 50 50 and we're not sure, that means that you haven't satisfied your burden of proof. So, um, you know, there might just be, he said, she said type stuff here. We don't know. We know there is a text message, the Bill Belichick one, but I guess we can get into it. Like, I don't, I don't think that wins you your case. The, the fact, uh, I mean, that's, that's not circumstantial evidence. That's, that's something concrete. It's not a, he said, she said, we can, you know, print out the text. We can look at them. We can, we can have them right. Similar to emails or recorded voice conversations, you know, that's direct evidence beyond that. Uh, it's going to be some form of a credibility. Who said what and what conversation? Um, so, you know, I, I had a, and, and, you know, I think there's a healthy, a healthy dialogue and a debate going around with this Bill Belichick tech stuff. I think in one sense, it's a critical piece of evidence because it tells you who else you need to speak with. You obviously do you have a deposition with Bill Belichick, 100%. Who was he speaking to at the New York Giants? You speak with those people. Who was he speaking to at Buffalo? Because he said that Buffalo, he was hearing from New York and Buffalo that Dayball had landed. So who was who was saying that? You also need to interview Dayball, right? Um, were you offered the job? When were you offered the job? Um, and then I think it goes one step further, David, and, and uh, mind you, right, I'm only talking about the people that Brian Flores will need to depose in this case. If it's mm -hmm. a class action lawsuit, right, like 
I don't know, all, all bets are off, but um, you need to interview the Jaguars, right? Everywhere where Dayball interviewed to see if he, you know, what, what the deal was, you know, if they had offered him a job, if they had heard whatever, whatever, you know, what, what this says is that there was at least rumblings at, you know, this is a uh, worst case scenario for Flores, right? This is the, if the texts don't say that much, it says that they were leaning toward Dayball um, at that point in time. You know, th- there's a reading of it. And again, um, I think full disclosure, right? I know you know this, Dave, but maybe the listeners don't. I worked for the Giants from 2008 to 2012 in their PR department. I have not had any involvement with the team in, in literally a decade. Um, so, you know, just uh, I got to mention it at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Giants statement said that Flores was in the running uh, up until the 11th hour. So that's code for he was our number two candidate, right? We were making a decision. So, um, and then the statement came out today from the Giants that John Mara, when Brian Flores was fired from the Miami Dolphins shop, John Mara called him within two days of the firing. Um, so, you know, I don't, that doesn't seem like something that an owner would do if he was just using you to check a box, right? I just, I, you, you can make the argument. And then the other level is, right, the, maybe the most obvious one. Brian Flores is a really high-level coaching candidate. He is one. He has two really good seasons with the Miami Dolphins, um, a team that's certainly overachieved. So I think everyone can believe that he was in the running for the last, um, you know, for the coaching job. Uh, he was a really hot name on the coaching market. We'd be having a very different conversation, Dave, if this was someone that was a backup special teams coordinator who had no head coaching experience or didn't have success at the head coaching level. So the Giants argument to this text message, right? This is, I guess, the proof um, would essentially be, Brian, you were an incredible head coaching candidate. Of course, we were considering you. Maybe we were leaning toward Dayball, but nothing was signed. He didn't accept it. He was still planning to take other trips. um, And we just haven't made that decision yet. So I try to call, like I see it, Dave, good or bad. I think Flores, I think he's going to have a hard argument with Giants. I don't know about the Dolphins firing. Um, if he doesn't get the Texans job or the Saints job, I think he could have a, a stronger argument, right? The story is not yet being done told. But I think with respect to the Giants, I, I think they do have some defenses. And yeah, that's at least my, my take on it. Yeah, here's, here's in bringing it as a class action, and let's say you get Eric Bieniemy, who has been the offensive coordinator for the past five years now, uh, four or five years now in Kansas City, he's been on the offensive staff since 2013, um, has had eight interviews and hasn't even he's on. He's just now the Saints said that today that they are interested in interviewing him, but he had not had any other interviews prior this this offseason. If he gets into the into this, if Lovey Smith, who took a team to a Super Bowl and hasn't gotten a sniff for a job and Jim Caldwell, who who led the Lions at the playoffs three times in four seasons. They haven't been to the playoffs three times since, you know, it's like, so there are, is that, is maybe his individual case off of this one part externally looks a little weak. Um, But if there's, if you do get that symphony of voices who are echoing the same thing and have their, the Hugh Jacksons and that evidence starts to come into play and more and more people are in a position to be deposed. Um, does that change everything? It does. And, and I had the same thought, you know, like at a certain point, why was Biennemi not contacted before this all happened? Um, I had that thought across my mind. Maybe the Saints just said, oh, uh, we might as well bring in Biennemi. Maybe, you know, and, and I hate to say this, but I just got to call a spade a spade. Like 
why weren't the Saints looking at the enemy before? The Chiefs are not in the playoffs anymore, right? That's not the concern. The Chiefs were eliminated um, on on Sunday, right? So this call, I think, I guess at least the report came out, you know, recently, a couple in the last 24 hours, 36 hours. Um, and then I had this thought, I'm like, you know what? If that if that's the good that comes of this, right? If Brian Flores, you know, quote unquote, dies on the sword and the enemy gets a job that he shouldn't have otherwise got, you know, I don't know. Is that a good thing? I, I, I hate that that that's what it took for the enemy, who's just as qualified, if not more qualified than Brian Dayball. Same type of situation. Offensive coordinator and team with a ton of energy, like ton of offensive firepower. I don't know. So, uh, yeah, th- I guess the point's well taken, Dave. The, the proof is not going to, uh, at least for this coaching cycle, it's not going to finish coming in until all these head coaching va- vacancies are filled. Doug Peterson just got uh, filled the Jaguars job. Mm-hmm. So we'll see who fills the Saints job. We'll see who fills the Texans job. Brian Flores, the day he filed the lawsuit, was interviewing the Saints. Uh, and it was, I think he's considered, I think he is uh, objectively, according to the team, mm-hmm. a finalist for the Texans job. So if Flores gets the Texans job and Biennemi gets the Saints job, it's a very different story than uh, if neither of them get either job. So, yeah, put it that way. The story is certainly not not being done written. And and the historical context, because as part of the 32 pages, you know, he goes all the way back to the creation of the league, essentially, and talks about blackballing of black players uh, from the league, not allowing them in. Then the, 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 the teams that did how long it took all the teams. Uh, we know the history of the Washington uh, now commanders, uh, John Preston Marshall, uh, George Preston Marshall, and all the things that he did as owner to keep black players out. They were the last team to integrate in the NFL. And then um, not having a black coach in the league and you have, and only having one in 1989 when Art Shell comes in. And then it's almost it's also very similar to 2002 when Johnny Cochran comes forward with his statistics and says, look, black coaches are on average winning. They are producing and yet they're getting fired faster than everyone else. And then the next year, the NFL puts in place the Rooney rule. And here we are 20 years later, and there are fewer black coaches now than there were at the institution of the Rooney rule. You know, and and that's, I'm happy you got there because that, this is the, you know, I don't know. Sometimes there's a lot of good that comes out of these uncomfortable conversations. I, I think at a certain point, right, the NFL is, is in trouble here. Objectively, the numbers speak for themselves. We don't, I mean, there's, there's one African-American head coach, right? So that's, uh, you haven't really made any progress. Maybe you've gone backwards since 2003. So if the Rooney Rule was designed to create, di- to create real diversity in the league, it's failed at it. If its goal was to create the optics of everyone having a, a fair chance, like, I guess it did a good job at that because, right, like, I don't know what, the, you're forcing people um, maybe to be get a, allowed to get interviews for positions they wouldn't otherwise have gotten, right? Who does that really help at a certain point? If you've allowed the system to be gamed by just checking boxes off, that doesn't do good. That doesn't do anything for anyone. Brian Flores got the Miami Dolphins head coaching job because he worked under Bill Belichick for, for t- a decade, right? He didn't, and, and I don't know if this is controversial, right? But like, Brian Flores didn't need the effing Rooney rule to get the Miami Dolphins job. And, you know, the reason why this day ball giant situation, the Rooney rule almost created this issue. If Brian Flores doesn't get the Giants job and there's no Rooney rule, right? Uh, Just just hear me out for a second, Dave. The Giants could offer day ball the job on that Thursday, give him the job. And 
you know, if this is if Flores is, you know, his his allegations and his view of the facts are correct, they could just give Dayball the job and say, hey, Brian, um, you know, we we offered Dayball the job. We were worried that he was going to go accept the Jags job, mm -hmm. the Saints job. So we just wanted to give him the job. There's no issue. But the problem is the Rooney rule has created a scenario where kind of coaches, like even if you pick your guy, that there you have to keep going with the interviews. That's kind of was Marvin Lewis's comments from the Bengals. Like their sham interviews happen all the time because the Rooney rule forces you to do that. So the NFL, as well-intentioned as they might have been, have actually created a situation to, to really put coaches in, you know, like what Brian Flores said, in, in a humiliating spot. Like everyone else in the room knows that you're not getting the job but you. And, you know, that's why I think the NFL made a big misstep in saying that Brian Flores' claims are without merit. Yeah, he might, at the end of the day, I, I'm telling you, he might have some holes in his legal case. He certainly might. But he's certainly not wrong to say that the NFL has a diversity problem. That the NFL has made grave mistakes over the last 20 years. He's not wrong in that. So I, I, I think the NFL's response is a little disingenuous. Yeah, and, and I think there are other you know circumstances that would damage it as well because look who's being some of the coaches that we've seen hired. Where you said where the NFL has said at different times, well, we need black coordinators, so we're trying to get black coordinators. Well, one of the guys who is interviewing for the Saints job is Darren Reezy, the special teams coach. There's never been a black, you know, special teams coach who's got a head coach job. John Harbaugh was a special teams coach. That has never happened. You know, there's no similar case of that for a black head coach. You have guys like Cliff Kingsbury, who was a losing coach in college, who got, you know, and I mean, it's it's anecdotal, but for, you know, like you said, when you stack those numbers up and up and you see these, uh, Josh McCown being considered for the Texans job, and he's never coached at all in the NFL. He spent the last year coaching high school football and was playing up until that. You know, it's like those types of situations just don't occur. They do not happen for, for black players. And predominantly, too, if you're a black coach, you likely were a player at some point. That is not always the case. That's far more, you know, it's far less often the case that someone had to be a successful player to some degree uh, as a as a white person to be a, a coach. So like there are there's it feels like there are so many different areas to go into with this with the league. But, it is, but does that also make it really unwieldy, too? Here's like and I know you're a basketball guy, Dave, and I was I was talking to a friend about it today. It's like, you know, the NBA is also a billion dollar business. They don't have this problem. I think uh, I saw this. And you you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's 14 coaches uh, are African American in the in the mm -hmm. NBA. Like, I don't. So the NBA doesn't have this problem. Like, I I don't. You know, I don't. I don't know what the makeup is in terms of you know African American percentage in basketball versus football. I don't. I don't know that. I just you know I don't. I don't think the numbers are. You know, like I mean, they're not I dramatically guess. different. The yeah, play, player makeup. No, it's not dramatically I don't, different. I wouldn't. I wouldn't think so. But but the NBA doesn't have this problem. So you have to see what is the NFL doing um, that the NBA is not. It, I'd say the makeup of ownership between the NBA and the NFL, they're both predominantly white, right? It's, it's you know, very, you know, it's similar. Like, so what is the NFL doing wrong? And then you have to say, like, does the NBA have a Rooney rule? Like, they do not. So, you know, I, I, I think there's, there is a point to Flores' complaint that there is something, something wrong that is happening. You could even point to, like, you know, which is complaint. Um, I think he has David Culley in there. I believe he does. But like Culley, right? He gets handed the job for the Texans for one year. Deshaun Watson, they thought he'd probably be around or they thought they could trade him. They don't. I, I think if me, right? And I like, I, Flores was a surprise fire. And I think David Culley was a surprise fire. 
those are the only two like surprising fires. And they both happen to be African-American, which is like, I don't, that, that doesn't really, that doesn't really sound right. So um, yeah, I, I, I think the problem, again, this is almost, it's, it's troublesome. You'll see where I'm going with it. Mm-hmm. Like David Culley is a, is a, and, and Brian Flores are a handful of minority coaches that have ever been head co- rose level head coach in the league. So you want to make a point like when, you know, when is a firing reasonable versus not reasonable? The problem is from a statistic standpoint, you have such a small sample size of African-American coaches in the league that you can't really discern any type of pattern. So it's almost like a double-edged sword. Like, how do you know what the normal tenure is for an African-American head coach if you're not really hiring that many? Um, they, they, there, I, I know that there is a statistic that um, black coaches are more likely to be fired after winning seasons than white coaches, which is a very odd statistic that so many, because Jim Caldwell is one of those guys. Brian Flores was just one of those guys. You know, um, I think Ray Rhodes was one of those guys. I think his last season, he was like a nine and seven. Um, And it's like, it it has happened, you know, I think that was one of the things cited is just that that, that's a preponderance of that in the NFL. The the one that that troubles me and you, you hit on it. Like I've been asked this this question, different shows, like, you know, because I said, I, I don't, I don't know if Brian Flores has the best case. So, you know, I think Brian Flores is a stand-up guy. And I think he might be the perfect guy to bring attention to this because he's a, you know, upstart coach and he's in the middle of the, I think the, from a media level, I like that. Um, but uh, if you do get this to a class action status, the guy that I think is probably the, the best example uh, is Jim Caldwell. I mean, you, you brought him up, like I was wrongfully fired from two different jobs. Um, and look what happened to the Lions in his aftermath, right? I know you're a Michigan guy, mm-hmm. like, what happened to the Lions? The Lions are the worst team in football, and they were not under Caldwell's watch. They get a winning record with the with the Colts, and then um, you know I, I Peyton think Manning gets hurt. He coaches the one year without Peyton Manning, and then they fire him before Andrew Luck. They get that, so yeah, and right. Two- like the 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 year where you get so he coached them the year that got them to the Luck draft pick. Is that what it was? Yep. So, <laughs> uh, you know. And then, and then the other side of this, which I guess we should bring up just for, for, for all sake, the guy that's popping up and, and talking a lot in these last couple of days, um, just as much as Brian Flores is Hugh Jackson. So Hugh Jackson is the other, is the downside to having a class action lawsuit, right? Brian Flores, I think has a lot of good to him in a plaintiff. I think Jim Caldwell is, is probably a great plaintiff. Hugh Jackson, on the other hand, right? Guys one in 31 all time. And people are saying, well, you know, Hugh Jackson, no matter what the color of your skin was, you probably should have been fired the year before, right? That you went one in 15, whatever it was. So, you know, there's a world where Hugh Jackson helps the case because he's also alleging, you know, some, uh, you know, uh, incentivizing of losing, losing, but like, then there's the other part of it where Hugh Jackson is, is getting in front of a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of media people. And it's like, well, Brian Flores really is, is the better representation of the class, right? There's a class representative for a class action law. If Hugh Jackson, to me, his better chance like if if he like if i would have been him speaking up first it was when he got fired after one season with the raiders and he went seven and nine that one season with the raiders and it was the year that um that was the year al davis died mm-hmm. and they went seven and nine they fired him right at the end of the year and and you know the raiders are notoriously a it's hard also to go against the raiders because quite frankly the raiders did hire the first latino coach the Raiders did hire the first black coach. The Raiders did have the first female executive. So it's kind of hard to go up against the Raiders. But if I'm just saying for the case of Hugh Jackson, if I would have had my if I would have been to the one jump out front, it might have been they only gave me one year. And it was a video. You know, and this was a messed up organization to begin with. But not you, now. Can I ask you a question, Dave? This is mm-hmm. this is what I wanted to ask you here. As long as you're you're OK with it. I mean, it's, a, you know, so 
I, I, from a legal perspective, I don't see a benefit to filing the lawsuit on this Tuesday. We waited a week basically until the day ball hiring happened. And then, um, you know, he's in the middle of the coaching carousel. So to me, from a legal perspective, I'm like, if I was, if I was Flores' lawyer, I would have said, you know, Brian, you were making a, you know, maybe a, t- a strategic error in filing the lawsuit so quickly. Why don't you wait to see if you get the Texan shop? Why don't you wait to see if you get the Saints shop? If you're, which, you know, Flores has said, he goes, I'm, I'm okay never coaching the NFL again. It's an important decision. But part of Brian Flores wants to coach in the NFL again. So I probably would have said, let's wait out the coaching tree, right? Let's see if you get one of these jobs. And if you don't get it, we'll file the lawsuit and it'll be that much stronger because you didn't get any jobs, right? So the lawsuit's a little stronger. And you can hold, because like you said, you has the tangible evidence. Right. He still that, has all the, the text. You, you want to hold on to that. That's not going right. anywhere. We'll have everything. So I made I made that point online, and, and a friend of mine, an African American sports lawyer, um, I'll shout him out, Derek Maltz, be really good guy. I've sat on panels with him. He told me I had it wrong, and I, you know, I took the tweet down and I said, "What do you like?" You know, and I said, "I think his lawyers didn't advise him properly." And Derek said to me, "He goes, honestly, I think they, I think they had to have advised him properly because the way that he's filed this lawsuit, he did it right at the, you know, right at the onset of Black History Month. He did it two weeks before the Super Bowl started. He did it." I- knowing that by filing it, he might not get the other two jobs. It's like the, the Texas job. So I, I, I took a step back and I'm like, you know what? I, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, I have no concept of, of what the significance is of what it's not. So I'll, you know, I'll STFU, so to speak. I but, know. Uh, I, yeah, I have friends who are like that too. And they're like, Oh, the, the, the imagery of this. And I'm like, but it's not going to be one on the imagery. I think no. that what made Colin Kaepernick's case so compelling was that as time went on and quarterbacks kept coming into the league who were inferior to him, that were clearly inferior, that they were pulling guys off the street and letting them play quarterback in the NFL rather than hire Colin Kaepernick, it became apparent, you know, that his action against the league had merit. Everybody could see it. You know, there's always, there's always this hardcore group of people who are, continue to say he couldn't play and that's all there is to it fine but to the general public that's how the battle was won I think it's yeah it made a splash what coach Flores did and sure you're it's absolutely there's never a wrong time to try to do the right thing in that in that sense of the word um or the or or the the phrase but I do agree with you that I think the reason that a Kurt flood the reason that, um, you know, Colin Kaepernick, the reason those types of uh, uh, Spencer Haywood, right. the reason that those after those uh, suits succeeded where others didn't is because the timing was impeccable. It had to be the right player or person at the right time um, with the right advisors. And in each one of those cases, Either the the player, like in Kaepernick's case, he had enough of a of a track record where he could stand on his play and say that these guys are not as good, and I'm being forced out. In the case of Kurt Flood, he was a good enough player, an All Star, a Hall of Fame caliber player. Um, and Coach Flores is, like you said, is talented enough to that if he had gone through this entire cycle and no one gave him a job. And you and a Josh McCown had gotten hired, 
or another or Darren Reezy had gotten hired and he's sitting out there looking for work. And Byron Leftwich is looking for work. And Eric Bieniemy is not a head coach. Well, yeah, then I think I, I agree with you. I think it looks tremendously different if after all of this, there's still only Mike Tomlin standing as the sole black head coach, because now you do bring into question what motives are as people get hired. Everyone is going to be questioned white or black is going to get questioned right now as to how that person got hired. And that is the question we're trying to ask, but not to these individuals. We should be talking about the system of it. I I think, you know, just, just to add briefly, like the, my issue with what the lawyers did or, or, or allowed him to do. I don't know whose decision it was. You could have, so to speak, had your cake and, and eaten it too. You could have gotten the Texans job or the Saints job and then filed this lawsuit. There was nothing stopping you from doing that. So I, I really, I really hope if it was Flores's idea, I'm, I'm more so okay with it. But if it was the lawyer's idea, this will send a great message, you know, and, and you'll, you'll probably get even more attention to this. It, it, like, you know, I, I obviously believe Brian Flores that he was okay never coaching again, but you know he's worked you know decades to get to this point, um, and he got screwed out of the Dolphins job. Um, I know you're I know you're a Louisiana guy too, so I mean the Saints job is an incredible job if he could have pulled that off. Um, so I, you know, from the legal side of me, I just I feel uncomfortable that he for to to win the media and which he did right. No one's talking about Tom Brady's retirement. You know, the, the Dan Snyder stuff, no one's, I mean, I, I care about it because I'm a sports lawyer. I, I care about but, that too, though, yeah. But Yeah, but I mean, the, I mean, the story that everyone's talking about, that's the, the biggest story that's permeated now, it's out of sports, is, is the Brian Flores story. So did the man just sacrifice his career unnecessarily in order to win the news cycle for a week or two? That's, that's what I have trouble. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to make that take on Twitter because people will yell at me, but that's what, that's what I do fear, that, that somebody, that, you know, someone oh. or, yeah, I mean, that's what I do fear happen. I. I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you. I, I think that, you know, there's so much here because you don't, you didn't have to rush because you do have the recent, the race norming decision on the, uh, with the concussions. So you, again, you have that, you had things that you could bring and tie together and wait, like you said, have your cake you needed to see if you get a job. So yeah, you're in, you're in the building. And like you say, you can still attack the league for its practices there are, pl- there are plenty of us in the workplace who know that our workplaces are, are not. I mean, look, the Washington football team just had a finding that they had a toxic workplace. People still have jobs there, though. There are people who still have to show up and go to work every day, even though they knew that that was a terrible place to work. But they, you know, and I'm not saying that anybody should be shut silent and just take it because they haven't. But I'm just saying there is a benefit to taking care of business while you can do that. You can do, you can, like you said, you can have your cake and eat it too. He could have done both. I, I believe that. Yeah. I mean, that, that was, uh, I don't know if it was that controversial. I just, I made that take online. I'm like a couple of people yelled at me and I'm like, I, it's I'm like, Twitter. I, I'm like, I sincerely, I, I feel bad if the guy's never coaching again because a lawyer gave him shit advice. I and mean, I'm part of my French, but like, it's not the, it's not the effing first time a lawyer might've done that to, to benefit. Right. At the end of the day, these lawyers are taking the case. I'm sure on a contingency, and the more attention they could get to the case, the more you know money in their pocket. And I'm like, I hate to be the guy in the room that says it, but like, I hope, I hope the lawyers didn't tell him and didn't say this was an okay strategy. I hope it was Flores' decision. In which case, I'm more okay with it. I'd still feel bad if that's the result. If you became a martyr, you know, just yeah. just 
when you didn't need to be, you know, because mm-hmm. it's no. not like Kaepernick. Kaepernick couldn't get a job, right? That was, he didn't really have the option at a certain point. If you're not hired in the, in the NFL for two years, you're probably not going to get, you know, back. No one sits on the street for two years and gets a job. But Flores was in the middle of the coaching cycle and he was the front runner for these jobs. So I don't know. That, that's, that was my, I'm happy, I'm happy you said that. I'm like, I don't think I, that's just generally how I feel. But yeah, it is what it is. No, yeah. I mean, there's a there's the emotional part for this for me, but also the ultimate part of this is can he win? So, you know, that's I think ultimately the question for me is can he win? How do you prove systemic racism? Like, how do you go into a courtroom and prove? I don't know if it ever gets to court because I the, the history of the NFL says it probably won't. Um because you know, we know their history with discovery. They don't, they don't ever want to get to discovery. That they have avoided that. They avoided it with St. Louis. They avoided it with the injury settlements. They've avoided it with everything that the Washington multiple times. You grew this fight in that fight. Do you even think that this, I mean, this could be years just before this even sees the inside of a courtroom if it does? Yeah, you referenced St. Louis. Um, St. Louis was a case, the city of St. Louis versus the NFL. It was a, uh, you know, a fraud-based case, obviously moving the team to Los Angeles. Um, Dave, put it this way. I, I, my understanding is that not a, not a dollar, not a dime was offered um, up until the case was ready for trial. And watch this. Four years later, right? And then the NFL back of the Bing truck, you know, the backs up were against the wall, you know, and St. Louis survived all the motions dismissed. They went through depositions. $790 million was offered. And... I actually thought St. Louis probably could have got more, but who's going to say no to $800 million? Um, you know, 99.9% of cases either settle, get dismissed before they get to trial. So I, I don't think this will get to trial either. I mean, you know, the odds of this going to trial are like plus, I don't know, plus 5,000, right? More than that. It, it's not, it's, it's not going to, it's not going to, something's going to happen with it ahead of time. Um, but that's not going to stop you from getting to discovery. Discovery is the part about depositions. You say how long this might take. I mean, I was, we were just playing the name game with like, you're going to take a deposition of Belichick, of Dayball, of the Giants and the Bills, um, an Elway, right? And you're going to take one of Stephen Ross. That's only pertaining to Brian Flores. Once you bring in this case, if you do, you get the class action element. You bring in the Jim Caldwells, the Marvin Lewis's, the Hugh Jackson's, the Eric Bieniemy's, right? You go through that list. You really, and I don't say this with hyperbole, very quickly can have the tentacles to touch every single team in the NFL, every single owner, every single GM, past GMs that are no longer with. So- um, yeah, there's, there's a lot to this discovery might easily, easily take three, four years. Right. And if, if not, if not longer, especially knowing Dave, the history of the NFL and not offering, not offering up discovery so easily. So yeah, this is a, this is a really long road ahead. This is obviously just, uh, you know, step one in the process, but I think we're going to find out in the next, uh, we'll say nine, 90 days ish NFL is going to move to dismiss as they always do, which they're doing in the Gruden case, same deal. Um, and then, uh, the, you know, that's the main decision if you can get into discovery. And that's when, um, you know, you might you might find some things you wouldn't otherwise expect. If you told me a year ago that uh, this, this case happened a year ago and I'd say, yeah, there's going to be no bad emails. NFL smarter than that. Um, I might say that. But after what we saw with John Gruden, uh, honestly, nothing would surprise me at this point. John Gruden got to the highest levels of the coaching hierarchy and it was a successful coach. He was with two different teams. And clearly John Gruden has had these sentiments for decades, right? He was with the Bucs. You just don't start thinking like that. Um, If that individual was allowed to rise to the top and no one reported him, uh, that's why Washington's being investigated partially, um, why no one said anything. Um, 
It's not going to shock me if these emails exist. You know what? You know what would shock me if John Gruden was the only single human being in the NFL that had these thoughts. And meanwhile, everyone on these emails that he was that he was uh, in t- oh, uh, you know, I, I guess people want us to think that John Gruden was emailing into the abyss, that no one was actually receiving his emails. He was like or responding. The- yeah. <laughs> like everybody's just like taking it in. Right. And- it's just like, oh, like, th- th- there's the problem, too, of the people that weren't reporting Gruden on the emails. Like that's why when I say, you know, hashtag release the emails, it's like I, I don't really I mean, substance is important. I want to see the, the CCs. Uh, oh, and the twos on the Gruden email, that's just as important to me, right? Not reporting it and being silent and acquiescing is maybe just as bad, right? Uh, so, you know, I, I, I truly, I, I, I'm curious and anxious for this thing to get into discovery. Um, it's going to weed out the, the, some of the bad players here, I think. If you get into it, I think the NFL's got to be certainly worried about it. Here are the two things that I, I, that I do want to, to just try to get an understanding of. Section 1981 of the Civil Rights Act of 1866 and the Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Those are the two main pillars that this is filed underneath. Um, Can you kind of give a shorthand on what those are and what those could potentially mean in this process? You know, I... I, uh, I probably am not the best to speak to it. I mean, the, I guess in the shorthand, right, um, you need to make it a colorable allegation. I'm not sure of the differentiation between the two, I guess, for purposes of our conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think from a, you know, for at least from a high level, um, in order to get into discovery, you need to show that you have a colorable, colorable basis to bring these claims, right? It just, you just need to show to get in the door. Um, your complaint needs to have something called facial sufficiency. So um, my understanding is that the claims require some type of statistical proof. You need to show um, a a real diversity issue with respect to this particular claim. Um, So that's why in the complaint, they they went to great lengths to show one out of 32, um, you know, acting uh, head coaches, six out of 32 general managers, zero out of 32 um, NFL owners, that there's a real objective numbers problem. So I think that's the, I, I honestly, my understanding is that that's going to be enough to get him into the discovery basis. I'm not sure what the, uh, as we sit here today mm-hmm. on Friday night, as I'm sure I can poke around this more. I'm not sure. What oh, no, no. I'm, I mean, I'm not, I just wanted to see if like, because of our, would those change any of the, the processes of it, th- those things, or is that just, like you said, to, that's what the main thing I want to understand is that this is what you use. This is the vehicle to, 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 bring everything else under. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, my, my understanding, at least the way they were used, one was for federal, one mm-hmm. was for city, and one was for state. They were all just yeah. different variations that apply whatever to different jurisdictions. But, um, you know, somebody can tell me I'm wrong. I don't, I mean, I, Dave, you know, I, I do uh, I do litigation cases, I do some fun sports entertainment cases, you know, for better, for worse. Um, you know, uh, actually, I, I don't even know if I've divulged this in the pod. My firm, uh, before I got there, handled the Colin Kaepernick case. So, um, you know, my firm deals with this. It's not necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, my necessarily the waters that I tread in. But, you know, uh, I, anytime there's a sports law issue, I try to get in the weeds. Um, you know, as you can imagine, Dave, this week was a little uh, hectic with, uh, you know, all, all the attention paid to this case. But for sure, I mean, if, if this case progresses, um, you, could, you could cause some real headaches at NFL HQ, uh, you know, any one of those three statutes. And I think there's also a Jersey statute that uh, is, it has some teeth, too. But, you know, Time to do some digging uh, on mine as well. I wonder if, I mean, I wonder if this is the one. Um, I am 
Ultimately, I am doubtful of it because the NFL has just been too strong for too long and it has so many powerful folks. I think ultimately, if you're going to change the structure of the NFL, you have to have some federal pressure. I mean, quite frankly, I, I don't think that it's going to go through a civil court procedure that's going to ultimately change the and, and that's what he wants. Those are some of the things he's asking for are these structural changes to the league itself. And again, I just do. Do I trust the league that has said, yeah, well, we, we don't spend more time on anything than we do on the, the cause of racial justice. The same league that says that I'm going to let it fix itself. Even if it's under a court order, I'm going to let that league fix itself. I don't necessarily think that that's the case, going to ultimately happen. I hope it. I hope something positive comes of this. I hope it just at the very least it makes players or um, other coaches around the league, both white and black. I think white coaches. I understand people don't want to lose jobs, and that there are only so many jobs in the league. But I think it's beneficial to everybody. I think it's beneficial for white coaches to know that there's legitimate competition for these jobs. I think everybody just want. I don't ultimately, I think in any sense as an American, and I said this yesterday on the pod too, I do not expect in my life to get equal outcomes, but I do believe that I should be given a legitimate opportunity in life to go after things that I want to go after. I'm not going to get them all. And there are things that, that I cannot control that will be the difference, whether we didn't go to the same school, we, I, I didn't laugh at the right jokes. It could be a lot of things. But I don't want something that I cannot control, like my race, to be something that keeps me from getting a job. That should never be something. Not my race, not my gender. Those are things that, that have nothing to do with my ability or inability to do my job. And I, and I, think, I think that's the, the troublesome part of the narrative, why Brian Flores used the term like humiliating, right? And why, you know, I think this is the, this is the uncomfortable part, right? Why is Brian Flores get fired from the Dolphins when I, I don't? I've just never heard of that, right? Guy has two really productive seasons with the team that certainly overachieved, I think, by Vegas win-loss standards. Um, you know, you can trust, trust the books. Um, and, you know, he's an underperforming quarterback uh, the whole year, right? He's playing mix and match, and team does well, right? They finish a game out of the playoffs. They're in contention all the way to the end. Won nine what, games in a row. Right. What, <laughs> since when? I, maybe we'll, we'll check Elias here. But, like, when has a team won nine games in a row and the coach has been fired, Right. I don't, I just, it doesn't make sense. So then, you know, I'm hearing the reports that like, you know, behind the scenes, there might've been turmoil and there was some strife between Flores. It's like, I don't know, that, that doesn't really tell me the story. So, you know, if you've heard me over the course of this discussion, I've, I've given outs to the Broncos. I think they have some outs, legal defenses, the Giants have some outs. Uh, you're not going to make sense of me with this whole Dolphin situation. It doesn't make sense. So then it goes to your point, Dave, like, Maybe, maybe just maybe something illicit happened, right? I don't, I don't really understand why the guy lost his job. I, I don't. And that's what set this whole thing in motion. And that's, you know, um, you know, uh, we'll say kind of karma sometimes, right? That's why the Stephen Ross allegations are coming out. There might be a federal criminal investigation into Stephen Ross. People have asked me, what, you know, um, why did Brian Flores not bring forward this uh, tanking allegation in 2019? And I'm like, this guy probably would have lost his job, right? You know, that's why. Um, but like it, it, it's, you have to ask yourself, right. And I don't know the answer to this. If Brian Flores is, is a white head coach, does he, does, does he feel okay announcing and, and being the whistleblower in 2019, right? Like 
it just seems like the, there's an uneven playing field to some extent. And I think that's what's kind of boiled over into this complaint. It, it's a um, loaded allegations. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think you got, uh, I mean, this, this is why I don't, I don't know Brian Flores, but something struck a nerve at a certain point. And um, it's nice to see other coaches getting his back immediately. And I'm, I'm hearing that uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts on this particular topic, I guess. Other coaches are reaching out as to how to join the class action, how trying to speak to Flores camp, how best we can contribute to this cause. So it's all good. Um, and hopefully you can enact some real fundamental change out of all this. And as you said, Dave, the courts are not going to come in and tell the NFL how to run their business. That's not what a court does to a private association. If the NFL wants to fix this, they have to look in the mirror and figure out how to change it. it the, no one's going to do it for you, right? And no one is actually going to force you to do it. You don't have to. You don't have to have a diverse head coaching ranks, right? You don't have to do that. You just can't have practices in place that are discriminatory, which, you know, that's the allegation here, that the Rooney Rule promotes discriminatory practices because you're forcing people to check boxes that aren't otherwise maybe qualified for the job, which, you know, that's you maybe just, a story for another day. You don't even want them. You, you have no – yeah, if you – I don't have a problem with – the league, you know, like there's going to be predetermination. I'm just, I have my eye on this guy. I've been waiting for this coach to become available. That's who I want. Cool. Fine. But it can't, you know, like if you, if you're never in the door and I think just business wise, to me, it's just the logic of business. If you limit the, the pool of talent that you are willing to dive into, then you're going to get limited results. And there are not enough successes. It's not like you could say, wow, look at all these overwhelming successes of white coaches most coaches are going to fail. It is a failure business. Most coaches are going to get fired. So, you know, when people do that whole thing of, well, it's the the best candidate for the job, you never know. You know, you never know when a coach is hired who the best candidate is because everyone who got hired, those teams thought they hired the best candidate at that time. And it was, so, I mean, it, it just, there is no such thing as that. Yeah, I mean, it's that's the end of the day. I mean, you, you pointed out, Dave, that's why this case is going to be hard to prove because uh, you're going to have to get in people's heads. You're going to have to try to prove stuff that you might know, but uh, there might not be any receipts out there. So, I mean, that's that's the difficult part about this case. Man, I, I really appreciate your time. Um, like I said, I know you're so busy right now, um, but I thank you so much. Um, and I always enjoy our conversations. I really do. Um, so thank you again. All good, Dave. My pleasure, my man. All right, we'll do this again soon. And uh, and you said you'll have me uh, on to uh, have a discussion with you. Do, I was talking to Derek. Um, I think I want, I think I want something to happen in the case. Mm-hmm. Be it, um, you know, there's the motion to dismiss, or someone joins, or or right. you know, gets hired, something so we can you know kind of mobilize that day. Yeah. Um, so I got um, Amber Wilson. I don't know if you know her. She's a she's another lawyer, but she's on ESPN like. Florida. Um, so just trying to get different, different people, but I'm, I'm letting Derek, it was Derek had the impetus of it because we were having this conversation He's, and I'm like, I have a lot to learn. So we want to, we want to put up a panel that could be kind of nice. And then spaces, I think, uh, you know, maybe lends itself to a more engagement online. Um, and the panel stuff, the town hall stuff that we do is like a lot of work with event bride and nonsense. I think Twitter space is pretty easy. Just pop on pop off we can end it whenever we want yeah all that we control the the crowd <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah, but yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna let Derek run with it but um you know I figured I'd, I'd promote it and you know we'd, we'd get it out there but uh I thought it was a good good opportunity to do it 
But yeah, again, thank you so much. Have a great weekend and um, uh, get some rest, dude. Get some rest. Enjoy your family. <laughs> okay, Dave. I'll speak to you soon, buddy. Have a good weekend. All right. Uh, for Dan Lewis, I am David Grove. You know how to follow me at DM Grove on Instagram and Twitter. This has been on the